go. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 73 of Going Live with Good Soil. Um, I think for the last like 20 weeks or so, maybe longer, we've been doing this thing where we broadcast on our YouTube live channel and on Twitter spaces at the same time. Um, so we're doing that once again. And, uh, you know, hopefully more YouTubers find ways to do this with their live streams because I think it would be helpful for Twitter spaces. And maybe Twitter spaces will have a better integration with YouTube or some, some bridge software will be make it easier. But anyone who, who's interested in this, I said a tweet, a tweet thread about it a while back and I can retweet it or you can DM us and we can tell you how we do it. It's not that hard. So Matt, how, how are you doing? We, we typically kick things off with talking about macro markets and then uh, what's going on in the, in the news with the macro market. And then we go into Tesla and Elon and, and other stocks we cover sometimes. And then we uh, do Q&A. How's it going for you this week, Matt? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm tempted to say good. But when you go through the list of, OK, macro, Tesla, Twitter, Elon, like <laughs> nothing's really clicking, to be honest with you. So yeah. you know, we'll, we'll get into all of it in a, in a minute here. But, you know, I'm doing doing pretty good. But uh, sure would be would be nice for uh, for everybody, I think, if we got a little relief here before too long. But how about you? How are you how are you doing in this stretch of time now? You know, it's it's brutal um, as an investor. You know, that part of my identity, that part of my personal identity has been getting crushed. You know, like I have to compartmentalize that versus the rest of my life. I have to remember to do that because, you know, when I identify myself as like a investor and especially a Tesla enthusiast and investor, you know, because that's a huge part of my net worth and success financially and so forth, then it's it's been crushing, crushing me the last uh, few months, the last two months in particular, but the last year. But um, the last two months, Tesla has come down from 300 to 160 something. You know, it's just, it's pretty uh, demoralizing. And I think lots of us are in the same boat. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. We can, we'll talk about Tesla more in a minute, but, you know, first thing is the macro markets. And that's a big part of what's going on with Tesla is what's going on with the macro markets and interest rates have been inching up and, you know, the Fed, Terminal In interest inching rate. might be uh, too timid of a word for, for what's been going on with interest rates. Ratcheting, yeah, <laughs> ratcheting, yeah, and at a record pace, sprinting up. Maybe you know, relatively speaking to the historic, you know, interest rate changes, it's sprinting upwards. <laughs> so that's destroying equities. Clearly, um, a year ago, it was hard to think of this story as likely. It just didn't feel likely. It felt like oh, possible, but. A year later, you fast forward and you're like, wow, you know, it's clearly evident that interest rates rising so fast has created a drastic exit from equities, especially growth equities into, you know, cash and fixed income. I don't even know if bonds are doing so well. well. But they're not. I mean, that, that's the yeah, thing is, is normally these are inversely correlated markets, but it's just now everything across the board is, is just getting slaughtered. And. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. funny. I mean, I think if, if you had taken me back a year ago, 12 months ago, and I bet you would probably think the same thing. But if we said, OK, you know, Tesla's going to be at a two year low in late November, I'd say, OK, they probably really missed on uh, earnings or deliveries or something like that. Um, you know, a huge kind of macro pivot wouldn't really have been on on my radar. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's no idea it's Elon was going to buy Twitter back then either. That and didn't I help. Think, <laughs> no, I think even if Elon was not buying Twitter and there was not all that drama, I don't think Tesla would be much above $200 right now. I mean, I think, you know, this is my guess. Like, you know, Tesla might be 200, 220-ish or something like that, even if the Twitter thing never existed, you know. I just think it's a major macro you know that's you know it's possible tesla could be at the 170 180 mark still even if twitter thing never existed but i'm saying like best case if you had a parallel universe i don't think tesla would would have would be above 220 right now best case even if the twitter so people a lot of people are like so upset about the twitter thing they think they've lost faith in elon and tesla because of that and i see that argument all the time twitter overhang all this stuff and that's caused but you know it might contribute because elon did have to sell a certain amount of shares but uh, I don't, I don't necessarily attribute the the, the stock uh, deterioration primarily because of that. I think it's a macro market, you know, event. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of interesting because we saw this, you know, just thinking through what happened last year and like Q1 and Q2 were, were total blowouts and the stock still fell. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of clinging on uh, based on the fundamentals. And then with like, I don't even, what would you call Q3? Like a moderate miss or basically meeting expectations? Yeah, um, met expectations. The, yeah. Basically met expectations and in the, in the, in the stock just like absolutely plummeted. So to me, it's, it's kind of... Um, like there's any reason at all and, and the market's just going to completely punish you. So I, 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 you know, I still stay focused on fundamentals. Gary Black had a really good thread last night kind of comparing this to 2019 and, and 2019 was really when I, I, I went very aggressively into Tesla. Um, and to me, it does seem pretty similar, except that the macro background is very, very different. Uh, but the, the kind of setup and, and how discounted and or disjointed, I should say, uh, the stock is both from like price targets, but probably more importantly from like, its fundamental value, I think, and just fundamental performance. Um, to me, it seems like there's a huge amount of uh, negative news already built into to the stock. So um, I, I could see a pretty significant rally from here, not investment advice, because we've been <laughs> we've been wrong consistently this mm -hmm. year. That's been a theme of uh, our last couple of conversations. But um, yeah, I, I think there's so much concern right now, especially around China, and we'll get into this in a little bit. But um, yeah, I, to me, it just seems like the if you if Tesla delivers a couple quarters on on pretty strong fundamentals, uh, I wouldn't surprise me if we're back in the you know mid three hundreds, maybe even approaching four hundred at some point. But not yeah. investment Someone advice. Tweeted a uh, a cool infographic I liked. I'll have to retweet it. Um, maybe I'll do it while we're talking. But it was basically an infographic of forward PEs of all like the Nasdaq companies. And Tesla's forward PE right now is like, I think it's like 30, close to 30. And uh, yeah, right here, I'll retweet it right now from this guy, um, Herschel Kamani. But basically, um, Apple's forward PE is 21. Microsoft is 21. Google's 18. Amazon is 55. McDonald's is 26, you know? Um, yeah. And these are just not NASDAQ. There's a bunch of companies. So... Tesla's in this forward PE that's like just mixed in with all the rest of the crowd that's not growing 50% year over yeah. year. You know, the rest of the crowd's growing like 10 to well, 20%, you know, and Tesla's growing 50, you know, 40 to 60% and got the same PE. Yeah. Well, in the, I mean, and that's with the analysts, you know, earn, earnings estimates for next year, which uh, works out to be $5.63 uh, for 2023, hmm. which I like, that's going to be a really bad, bad year. I think if that's all that they, that they can muster up for next year. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, I was thinking actually, we did, we posted this um, kind of deep dive <laughs> on some of the mega caps and the PE ratios that they have relative to the growth rates and the peg ratios. Um, that was before Tesla had this, this huge kind of downturn. I think it'd be good to update that because i would imagine tesla's peg right now even using the analyst numbers is like drastically below one and, and in my mind that's not really a sustainable valuation so i think i think right now um the market is is just kind of expecting tesla to fumble they're expecting you know another shanghai plant shut down they're expecting very clearly i think much slower sales in china and and uh margin pressure because of that um yeah and so i think if, if tesla like I'm expecting those things too, but even when I bake them in, I'm getting numbers that are a lot higher than you know 563 for for earnings next year. Um, so I think there there could be some really good news. Um, you know, if it if if, if Tesla just starts delivering, um, then even if the PE stays the same, um, then just the the earnings beat would it would move the the number higher. So mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's always possible that that the the number can be compressed or that Tesla misses. So that's uh, so why we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but. But to me, it just seems like it's been beat up beyond all proportion to their actual fundamentals. Um, and it's also, we had a, a conversation or you you had a, a DM with uh, somebody who probably don't want to go into too many details. I'm not yeah. sure how confidential they wanted to keep it. Uh, suffice to say, it's becoming a very popular, um, and, and it seems to me like a group think kind of thing that like, oh, clearly this is when Tesla falls back to earth because their valuation never made sense relative to other automakers. And it's a great yeah. short right now. Margins like, compressing, yeah, 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 yeah. So that again seems like 2019, where like all the smart money, quote unquote, smart money <clears> is saying like oh, Tesla's overvalued and uh, this is the end. And like, look at Elon and his antics and like all the stuff that doesn't really matter. That's not fundamentals. Um, that's what they're focusing on. And so to me, it's just it seems like a yeah. good setup for that reason. 
it's a different reality, you know, and, you know, what is reality, you know, other than what's the, you know, the perception of the eye of the beholder, right? So the great thing about stock markets is in the end, whatever the true reality is will be proven by the stock price, you know? So with everything else in life and history, you can almost change the realities and tell different stories or narratives about the reality. Um, and you can do that with stocks for some time, but in the end, the stock price will prove out which reality is correct or more likely, you know, which reality was more correct than the other. So one reality right now is, you know, Tesla's facing compressed margins. Like you said, all these bear points. Um, and Gordon Johnson did an incredible, was on, there was an incredible space last night that whole Mars um, hosted. And uh, I got to listen to it for a few minutes of on and off when I was running errands and stuff. And uh, it was like over a thousand or fifteen hundred people later on in the evening because there was a bunch of people joined in on this. Even Gary Black, I didn't hear him, but I have to go back. I think it was recorded. But uh, but Gordon, it was Johnson like two thousand when I jumped in right at the very end. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was like, no, I missed it. <laughs> yeah, but Gordon Johnson was on there and he was debating the bear points, and it's just a very different reality. When I hear Gordon Johnson talk about it, like part of me is if I didn't like, I try to think about nothing else that I like pretend I don't know anything. And I listen to him and everything he's saying makes complete sense. If I don't know anything about Tesla, everything he's saying is like, Oh, that's, that's a great story. I believe that reality, you know? And then I have to think, Oh, but all this stuff, all this knowledge I have about Tesla on this other reality that I've studied for years doesn't jive with the reality that Gordon Johnson is. So one of them is wrong. Right. And so yeah. um, I think it's, it's fascinating to me with the stock market, to see these realities. It's not like politics. You can, you can have two different realities or more than two realities in politics and all that, but you can never figure out who's you know, absolutely right. It's just always going to be a debate, but with stocks, you know, there was tons of bears on Apple for many years. And now that reality has been proven wrong. Right. And Apple's clearly the biggest company in the world and deserves it at this time. So, you know, it's just a matter of time before we see which reality with Tesla will play out. And for a while, Tesla could stay depressed. I saw another tweet by a guy, Fallacy Alarm, um, that showed like during the history of Tesla's rise, you know, a thousand X return or a hundred X return since it went IPO'd or whatever, that um, 70% of the time Tesla has been consolidating or, or going down. And only 30% of the time has the stock price been going up or something, you know? So hmm. despite going up, some kind of crazy metric like that, despite the stock being hundred X from where it IPO'd or whatever. So that's pretty interesting to think about too. Just, you know, there's a lot of time for people to panic, you know, and, and believe that reality. But then when they're wrong, they're very wrong and the stock zips up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely makes, makes sense. And you certainly saw that in 2019. I mean, I remember kind of thinking, I, I I've spoken about this uh, before, but maybe not in a while. But I, I was initially not invested in Tesla. I just thought the valuation was crazy. And then, you know, I started listening to all the things Elon was saying about wanting to, you know, basically be best in class for like if it, automotive manufacturing efficiency and profitability. I was like, okay, well, that's probably unlikely, but I see what he's saying. And then, so there was this whole debate and I was like, okay, I started to see it in 2019 where they actually turned the corner of profitability in, in Q3. And I was like, oh, all those things that he's been saying for years, like they just kind of clicked and it was like very clearly to me the turning point. And I remember the stock was up like 10% and I was thinking like the stock should be up double because it kind <laughs> of like eviscerated the entire bear uh, narrative, which was like yeah. they were going to go bankrupt because they actually generated positive cash flow, positive earnings. And it was like, okay, this is the path to sustainability. And now they figured out the Model 3 ramp. So there are only going to be higher volumes, more operating leverage from here. So like just really bolstered the, uh, the bull case. And to me, it was just like the, the market was just like very slowly kind of trickling. And, it, you know, over the next 18 months, we saw what happened, but it wasn't like the, the facts immediately turned things around overnight. So it yeah. could be the, the same sort of situation where, you know, it just takes 12, 18 months, 24 months. We don't know yeah. when the market will catch up, but yeah. uh, assuming they do kind of deliver in the manner that we think they will on fundamentals, um, it will just be a matter of time. It's a, the, that old yeah. Warren Buffett quote, short term, it's a voting machine. Long term, the market's a, a weighing machine. Yeah. Same thing happened in 2013, 2014. You know, good news. It seemed like it was producing the Model S and, you know, Motor Trend Car of the Year, but the stock was still 
depressed, like it was going to fail. And after a few quarters, finally it zipped up. So yeah, would you have to wait for that time? If our reality is right and Tesla is going to succeed in all of the technology it's building with FSD and such, especially then there will be a time. We don't know when, but there will be a time where the stock will likely zip up. It's not going to be a steady appreciation of, you know, five or 10% a week for 20 weeks straight. It, it would probably more likely be, you know, 25% one week, 50% the next week, and then flat and then up a hundred percent over the month after that, or something like that. It could very well be something erratic like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't know when that'll be, if it's 18 months from now, 24 months from now, or maybe it's next year sometime. It's, it's hard to say. <clears throat> Yeah, it, it's funny how it can sometimes move when you're not expecting it to. I, I know like this time last year, it was in the middle of this massive rally that we didn't really see coming. Um, yeah. And so it's it's there wasn't really any sort of big move. It just for whatever reason, sentiment really seemed to to move in the positive direction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's so hard to predict these, these short term movements. But long term, I'm curious, is there anything that gives you pause or anything that makes you worried long term or you're... Um, Long term Still, over like a two to five year horizon, I'm not worried whatsoever. You know, the macro market will work itself out, whether it takes three months or, or two years from now. At some point, the macro market will stabilize and interest rates won't continue going up. And, and you know, I think um, that's the point. That's the part to really that's the ingredient that I'm very uncomfortable predicting or, or with any certainty, you know, um, I don't think we're going to go back to like a Volcker, like 10% interest rate, you know, just because our CPI numbers are so obsolete and antiquated that it shows like seven or 8% inflation for two years, you know? So yeah. I don't think that, but a year ago, I didn't think we'd be at, you know, five or 6% interest rates already, you know? So that's what I'm worried about is like, I've, I've been wrong on the fed and what they're yeah. doing already. I can, I'm not an expert on what the fed's doing. I know that. And, you know, we try to be, but, it's, 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 you know, I don't know what's in their minds, what, what their decision making. I'm really curious what the fed minutes are going to be. Um, tomorrow they come out, uh, the fed minutes are like, uh, I guess like a diary or journal or something of, of what actually went on, like the actual transcript of the discussion or something like that from the fed meeting three week the three weeks prior, the fed meeting from three weeks ago. And it always comes out like three weeks after the fed announcement or something. So tomorrow the fed minutes come out and we get to see, whether it was a unanimous decision once again for the 75 basis point hike. I'm hoping that in the Fed minutes, you know, not only some language will show that shows like there's a little bit of a little more concern of being 75 basis points than, you know, what people probably assume, but maybe there is a couple of, you know, Fed members that were like, no, I don't think we should do 75 basis points and they voted against it, but it still went through because that would be the first time in this rate hike cycle that that would have happened because up till now yeah. it's Animus every single time, right? Well, I saw just this morning, um, Mester. I don't know who all the the board members are on the on the Fed, but uh, said he supports a or she supports a a smaller rate hike in December. So it does mm -hmm. seem like we're starting to get people, you know, testing the water and, and kind of making some of these comments um, that you know they they want to at least slow down the pace of this this kind of uh, really rapid um, rate increases that we've seen. So um, I thought that was a really positive sign. Um, one of the things maybe we'll talk about this when we get to macro, but um, the the Fed's next meeting is right on the back of the CPI numbers. So uh, if November CPI comes in, you know, reasonably promising, kind of like October's did, I think there'd be a much higher probability for like a, a fifty basis point rate hike, and maybe even twenty five. I, I don't really think twenty five is in the in the picture right now, but uh, you could imagine if there's a surprise um, print like we saw with the. <laughs> The German PPI numbers uh, like that came in yesterday. Um, yeah, that, that the might... German PPI number yesterday. It was like yeah, four, it was like like we're talking. Everyone knows like the U.S. Fed CPI and all that like eight percent inflation. But German, what would tell us more about what's going on in Germany? We touched on it yesterday, right? Yeah. So so Germany. Sorry guys, we're kind of bumping all over the place between macro and Tesla, but uh, it's a it's a rather fluid situation. They're all kind of in intermingled. Um, but so Germany's version of PPI, so the producer prices, um, has been just absolutely skyrocketing this year. I think it was, I forget the exact figure, but something like plus 85% year to date or um, year over year. 
uh, on the energy costs and it, it like 45% for the overall. So just really massive inflation going on in Germany right now, um, almost entirely um, driven by by energy prices and the whole Ukraine crisis seriously, or, or obviously um, playing playing big into that. Um, but the, the figures for PPI in October that came in yesterday, um, analysts were expecting, uh, you know, plus 0.9% month over month. And instead it came in at minus 4.2% month over month. So, so wrong in the direction, but also like way off in the magnitude of, of the decline. So, um, to, to me, that was like a, the kind of inflection point that I've been expecting for a little, for a while on, on the U S side, um, that that Germany is finally just seeing in, in their numbers. So to me, that was like, you know, not only are you you slowing the the rate of of inflation, but you're um, like really like drastically uh, moving in the opposite direction. So, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a really big it's mostly energy, signal. right? It's all. Yeah. It's vast majority of that is energy related. And a lot of it's because of the wartime with Russia shutting down the energy. But that's a vast miscalculation by their i wonder what the dax the german index did yesterday i should have looked if it like zipped if it reversed course or something or there's a big spike in its volatility or what yeah yeah i, I i'm not sure I, I um i i didn't look that up either but i would imagine if, if we got that sort of of print at some point in the next six to 12 months in the united states where you know cpi expectations were you know plus you know 0.5% month over month. And it came in at minus 5% or something like that. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, that like I, the equity markets would just rip. Um, yeah. So, well, look what I, happened I, just this last time, right? It was, it was instead of, instead of plus 0.4, it was plus 0.2, I think. And the NASDAQ yeah. was up 7% on the day because of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, you know, a really drastic performance or uh, yeah, a movement in the stock. So stock market. So um, that, that type of thing is not out of the question. I mean, we've been, expecting that i don't want to say expecting it but we, we've been uh giving a higher weight to kind of the whole inflation story reversing at some point um mm -hmm. it's maybe taken a longer time to play out partially because of the way that the fed met or the you know u.s bureau of labor statistics um uh measures these these items but so there is this lagging indicator that we've spoken about for a long time but uh eventually that's gonna you know turn around um I think, <laughs> and, yeah. and we'll see what the market's reaction is. Yeah, the next big, I think, just trying to study up on the macro markets, which you know are huge right now for what all stocks are doing. The next big point to watch, I think, is November 30th when Powell is speaking next. That's uh, a week from tomorrow. And so I think just like Jackson Hole, the market's like going to be wavering on every word he says maybe it'll be a dovish speech you know you think you would think that he would sort of signal a, a pivot in a speech before a fed meeting maybe right so if there's a signal of a pivot coming on interest rate hikes then maybe it would be this november 30th i mean i don't want to get too optimistic um you know but it, it's it's possible for a nice like set up for the market, the macro market to start rebounding to a Christmas rally or, you know, holiday rally. If, uh, if Powell shows like a more dovish tone on this, uh, on this speech. And then after that is December 13th and 14th is the fed meeting. And, um, and the actual CPI for October or for November is released on December 13th. So that's when the data, the big data point is shown, but that December 14th, the next day is when the fed actually gives their statement and makes their decision. So, you know, there's a, a triage of a trio, sorry, not triage, a trio. <laughs> a of, triage. Uh, we could use some triage, triage over here. Yeah. Yeah. There's a trio of events from between November 30th and December 14th that we have to all really pay close attention to. And if they line up right, the market could, could really start bouncing back. Um, but the opposite could happen as well. And if he stays very hawkish and the CPI isn't good and they raise 75 basis points again instead of 50, then obviously the market could continue crashing and multiples compressed further. So it's, you know, those are the three points I think that are most important over the next few weeks. Um, and there's always these manufacturing indexes or unemployment reports, all this stuff in between. Those are all incrementally important as well. But I see those as the three biggest signals. What, what do you think, man? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, we've you've seen when those, you know, I, I don't maybe like second tier reports come out, they can you know maybe change sentiment a little bit one way or another. 
-hmm. but like the last several uh, CPI prints, it's like 830, they come out and the stock was like here and it just you know moves <laughs> like minus 3% in like two minutes or the opposite yeah. direction. So clearly yeah. CPI is the thing like really in the driver's seat of markets it has been all year. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, 10 year treasury move movements in that have, have really been uh, kind of steadily upward too, which, which, you know, increases the discount rate makes equities uh, harder to justify investing in, in equities. Um, yeah. But, you know, it just, it's like, even if Tesla was trading at a multiple of 10, which seems unrealistic to me, but it's just a matter of years before like the current price, I think would have to go up even, even at that point, because yeah. they're going to be doing more than $18 in, you know, earnings per share at some point in the next couple of years. So we're like, it, your most conservative assumptions, I think they, they still get there. But yeah. um, of course, you could have such an extreme recession that, you know, demand goes down and cost of financing yeah. cars gets higher. And so you get, a, you know, this, you know, double whammy of, you know, price compression plus like actual impact of the fundamental business because of the recession. So, um, yeah. you know, it's none of these are, are guarantees. But as I'm thinking about like, a matrix of all the, like the possible like Tesla's fundamental performance uh, as it manifests itself in a in an earnings per share figure at whatever year, and then the PE multiple that will be in effect at that year. You know that you could like make a huge table of all those different outcomes and what they look like, and and it seems to me that like in maybe only fifteen or twenty percent of those would would the stock be at its current level or lower, and in the vast majority, at least as the way I'm thinking about it, they'd be a lot higher. Yeah, I mean. The rule, the market is always right. You know, you, that, that's the game we're in. The market is always right. And Apple, I think, traded close to like a 10 PE at some point in the last 15 years, at some like 2010 or 2012 or something like that. Or maybe it was 2008. I forget. But I saw, you know, the great thing about Twitter is you see all these interesting factoids people throw out there, points and perspectives. And so nothing's impossible. I mean, the sentiment around Elon with this Twitter stuff and just how he's running his companies and all the retail investors crowding for the, instead of a short squeeze of shorts, closing their positions, maybe you have a bunch of weak handed retail investors running for the exits, closing their short, their, their long positions. And, you know, the, the stock can do anything in the short term and a 10 PE, you know, you got to think Warren Buffett's of the world are going to start buying Tesla at some PE. Right. So, you know, it, it, anything's possible. I mean, the stock could get cut in half again from where it is now. We don't know. Um, we know long-term what's going to happen, but it's very crazy right now with uh, the environment and the markets, you know, and liquidity, you know, one thing, common fallacy I'd see with investors, and it has happened a lot with Bitcoin and or not Bitcoin in particular, but cryptocurrency in general, is you look at the market cap of something like Tesla's market cap right now is, what is it? Uh, Five hundred and thirty billion. Okay, that's the market cap of Tesla right now. So I think the fallacy is people think, oh, that means for it to go to for it to get cut in half to two hundred and fifty billion market cap, you know, two hundred fifty billion worth of people would have to sell. You know, they'd have to sell. No, that's not true. You know, there's liquidity. You know, it might only be that people sell enough to generate. You know, maybe if Elon had to sell you know, enough to generate 20 billion of cash, it would drop it down to a $250 billion market cap if he did it all within a few days or a week or something, you know? So I think the fallacy people sometimes have is they think that the market cap of where it's trading is equal to the amount of people that of capital they could take, take in if they sold, all sold their shares at once. And that would not be the case at all, you know? So it's a tricky dynamic to think about with, with stocks and market caps. And it was a very deceptive thing for crypto markets, I think, especially with newbies and crypto and investing, you know, you'd see, you know, all these crypto tokens with like a crazy market cap. And then as soon as like a little bit is sold, it, it collapses quickly, you know? So um, mm -hmm. anyway, uh, just an important thing to remember when you think about these stocks and how irrational they could potentially become. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it really is driven by flows in the short term. Like yeah, ultimately mm -hmm. fundamentals will attract some more flows one way or another. Um, but like the stock, the, the stock price is just like the, the marginal balance at any point in time between the buyers and the sellers. So, yeah. you know, any random thing not related to the fun company's fundamentals can certainly move the flows in an adverse direction, like you're saying. And that's just that that's the market. And so uh, the investor's job is to try to find those, um, you know, those, those inconsistencies and, and bet like. Like, I think if you have dry powder right now, this is a great time to be to be an investor. Of course, we might still go down from here, 
you know, but uh, I think a lot of people were, were caught in a situation, probably us included, where we deployed yeah. capital, you know, too aggressively too early. Um, yeah. And so that's a lot of people are kind of feeling that pain right now. And but like looking at the prices right now, it's just like, oh, man, I would I would love to, you know, deploy a lot more at these prices. Um, yeah. yeah. But there's just but there's we've not been a whole lot that, of incremental. But buyers. we've been saying that this whole way down, too. And yeah. you just don't know how low it goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you don't know how. Yeah, it's exactly right. And I see uh, Brave in the YouTube comment says you're explaining the difference between market cap and realized market cap. I never really heard that term realized market cap, but it makes sense. Um, yeah, that, that's an issue. And he has a follow up that the market cap is only determined by the last trade price. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of silly, but that's that is the way that it works. It's the last trade price is moving all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess Twitter, let's move on to Twitter and talk about that a little bit uh, as well as George Hotz joining Twitter. That's a huge I think that's a that's, that's a lot bigger than people think. A lot of people. I don't, I think discount that is not, not too important, but I think George Hotz can make a difference. You know, Twitter, yeah. um, you know, is a bunch of employees and engineers working together, but George Hotz is like, to me, one of the top programmer coding developers in the world. And he's young, got a lot of energy, passion, what he wants to do. And he's decided he wants to help figure out Twitter and he's motivated for, for whatever reason. And I think this is a huge, amazing, like Easter egg for Twitter, for Elon to have uh, taken on with his Twitter takeover to get George Hotz on the team. Um, even if it's just for a few months, just to help get the trip, the, sh the ship on the right track. I mean, were you surprised when you saw that? <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was really shocked. Like I'm, I'm a, I love George Hotz. I got a reply from him a couple weeks ago and I was like, yeah, it was almost like an Elon <laughs> reply getting a George Hotz reply. Uh, yeah. But like, yeah, when he was, you know, said that he would want to come and help, I like, I actually got really excited. I'm not invested in Twitter, you know. Like, I don't really have a, mm -hmm. a stake in this other than, you know, it's a, it's a good, good thing for society. I think if, if Twitter, um, you know, kind of reaches Elon's vision. But like, with this kind of moment that Twitter's in, where like they they need to cut a lot of the fat and they need to make some like really drastic, really important, you know, changes and like a lot of coding needs to happen. Like he's the perfect guy to come in and like do this kind of short term. What do you say? 12 weeks there yeah. to, to like do this heavy lifting in the short period of time and then just like be gone. That is yeah. exactly what it's it, to me. It just seemed like the the perfect, um, you know, resource that Elon needed for what he's trying to do at Twitter right now. So I, I got like really <laughs> inordinately excited about, about the fact that George was joining. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So. That's a really good, I mean, I wish I invested in Twitter, I w you know, it's private now and, you know, it's always uh, tough to invest in private companies when all your public equities are down so much. So I couldn't really figure out how to get any dry powder to invest in Twitter privately when it went private. But, you know, I'm envious of all the people that did. I think Twitter has a very promising future. Um, so when it goes public again, I definitely am going to take a close look at it. Um, but yeah, Twitter seems like it's doing great. You know, Elon is tweeting more, more actively than he has in the past. There's like pictures of him with the Twitter team, the people that are staying late and working hardcore, you know, I, I, I feel like all the people who left Twitter, like, especially the ones who've left voluntarily when Elon's given them the option, I don't think they realize how much of a scar is on their career forever now for doing that. Like, I think, um, you know, when they're submitting their CV or resume to other tech jobs in the future, uh, if it shows like left Twitter in 2022 as part of the resume, that's like a, a red flag. And people are like, oh, I'm not going to hire you. You know, it's, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I so I think I think that's true. But I also like the I thought the all in podcast did a really good job of kind of distinguishing these two camps. There's kind of like the the way that this has traditionally been done, where like those people can say we were yeah, leaving for like a principled stand. We didn't like the direction that Elon was going. And I think there are going to still be companies that kind of have those values. Um, but there be some, I, think, yeah. I think speaking of one is probably like lemonade. <laughs> it's probably like that. Uh, you know, I don't know. A little I'm bit. Yeah. We, we had a little bit of some soul searching on, on that one. Yeah. There's <laughs> I don't a couple know, for pink sure. flags. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, after like hearing those guys uh, talk about like 
how important the work is and like you need to work <laughs> like it's yeah. actually expected that you like earn your paycheck and you know get your job done and don't just like check your 40 hours a week and get your you know all your nice office perks of like the yoga room and like the wine bar and all that stuff yeah. like that that is i think there's been way too much inflation and like people thinking that they're entitled to all these perks um yeah. and and not enough people focus on like actually uh, moving the company mission forward and like creating value that justifies their paycheck. Um, so I thought they did a really good job of kind of distinguishing between those two camps right now. And, and it's, it seems like a pivot point. I don't, I don't know if you resonated as much with, with what they were saying on that episode, but it definitely to me seems like we're at this turning point where like the cultures are either going to have to change or you're going to have two different camps of companies or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was on some Twitter spaces. It was like, tweeps who have left or something like that. And I listened to it, you know, last Friday or Thursday, and it was a bunch of like Twitter employees who recently left kind of joking around sharing memories or whatever. And they all doing like that salute icon or whatever. And they're like, yeah, they're, they're just reminiscing about how great it was to work the, or like the fun memories they had and, and they're moving on or whatever, but it wasn't like bashing Elon or anything. It was just, just like camaraderie of people who all chose to leave, um, which was interesting. But then one guy came on, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was like some engineer that they all knew. He was like, oh, Mike's on, you know, let, he's still there. Let's have, let him talk. And Mike started talking. He's still working at, he chose to stay. And he made mm -hmm. a good point. He's like, you know, I really, uh, you know, respect your guys' decisions. You guys, everyone has their own decision to make. But, you know, there's a whole lot of people still here working their butts off, trying to change the world with this new product. And I hope you guys, you know, give us your blessing or what. And I just almost like the way he said it, I, I'm not saying re repeating word for word, but the way he said it to all these like, former tweets that were like reminiscing, having fun, talking about how the good times were, were there and they're left and they're moving on. They, I, I'm sure they all were like in their head, second guessing their decision at that moment. Like, yeah, I just left the biggest opportunity in my life. <laughs> you know, like, Yeah. And, and so, well, and they all supported him, obviously they're friends. They're all being friendly, but you got to think a lot of these like former tweets that chose to leave are at some point in the near future, if they haven't already going to second guess their decisions and, and wonder. jobs be retained and like yeah it's like re requiring elon to like say that he's not going to change the strategic direction of the company and all these crazy things it's yeah. like it, just, it was so absurd at the time and i think those people that like kind of thought that you could write a sternly written letter to management and get what you want are just getting like a splash of cold water on their face but i, I yeah i wonder like how many of the of the tweets kind of fall into that you know, kind of extreme woke kind yeah. of uh, cohort versus the people that you heard on that spaces, which seem a little bit more reasonable, moderate, and yeah. just, you know, were, you know, liked the time that they had there, but didn't want to, you know, do the extreme work or whatever Elon called it. Yeah. And a lot of people, just to say, a lot of people will put that extreme kind of wokeness in writing when they're hiding behind a bunch of other people. But then like you're talking verbally live or face to face, especially, they wouldn't give that impression whatsoever. It's hard to say, you know, yeah, it's hard, to say, you know, so. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a, a rude awakening for a lot of those people, especially if this recession is happening the way so many people are predicting, it's going to be hard to find tech jobs in general with all these layoffs. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And you know, lots of great employees. This is a great way, great strategy for Elon to sift through and get the, the employees with the good morale willing to stick around to, to, to identify who they are. Basically, um, through deduction, hiring all the top employees that have more good morale that are willing to work hard this way, you know, so all the people giving them options to leave, um, you know, easy options to, to, to leave to, you know, if their if their morale is not in the right spot. And personally, yeah. if I was at Twitter at this point in my life with a family and all that, I might've opted for that, you know, like I'll yeah. just leave because I have a family and kids and I have another job lined up I could do. So, I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. You know, there's a lot of people that it makes sense if you have a, if you're at a point in your life where you want more of a work-life balance, but if you're younger and you're willing to work your butt off, you know, yeah. 80 hours a week, it, you know, it makes total sense to me to stick with Twitter because the payoff is huge as well. Yeah. You know, and Farzad had a couple of really good videos on, on this, you know, kind of talking about how it's that it, you actually kind of free up the top talent when you get rid of the people who are just like 
there to like have meetings and you know like do things by committee that was what one of my my first corporate jobs so i had been working in valuation and investment banking like really kind of demanding rigorous areas and then i went to work for an electric utility and so i like went in this department and like the job that we had to do there as a department it took like five people six months to do and i was just like if i got rid of like the four people that are my like peers and my boss and his boss I could do this whole thing, like probably to a better quality level and just like so much faster, but it was yeah. just, we had to have these, I remember like he would actually schedule, my boss would like schedule these like pre-meetings and then we'd have the meeting and then we'd have the post-meeting debrief. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like you are killing me. Like, just let me do the work and like get the hell out of yeah. my way. So I think yeah. like, there's all so, so many people uh, at Twitter, which were probably like you know, extremely capable. And when you get rid of, you know, a, a decent chunk of the workforce that probably wasn't contributing a whole lot. Um, you know, you, you probably just free them up to move at a much faster pace. So I do think there's, yeah. there's some validity to that. And this, yeah. and, and the site didn't crash. There's this whole rumor like, Oh, Twitter's going to crash at any moment. It never happened. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how the culture is changing fast on the, and on that stuff. I remember my first job at UBS investment bank. I was like a temp worker doing like grunt work stuff. And, all the managers in the office, I was in like this big office building part and all the managers and senior managers who I looked up to, I was like, oh, those people have it made and I'm getting paid 15 bucks an hour to, you know, sort returned mail or type in in this database stuff, you know, like address corrections Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I'm watching all these managers go into meetings after meeting after meeting. I'm like, oh, that must, they must be getting a lot done. I'm thinking in my head. (laughs) But now I look back and I'm like, that was the most useless point of time for them, probably. Like they're just in meetings all day, and I kept thinking in my head, like, "Oh, there must be something important they're doing together." <laughs> but it's exactly what you're describing, I think. So, um, yeah, the bigger the company and it, it, the, the longer it's been around, the establishment, it's, it's, it's. I feel like there's more of that going on, and Elon and and the new kind of cultural shift against meetings, I think, is positive for productivity. Um, so anyway, let's go into maybe, maybe I think we've talked a lot about things. We, we usually try to save 15 or 20 minutes for Q&A. Should we just go to Q&A? Is there anything else you want to touch on before we just go to Q&A? No, I mean, maybe just like I'll try to keep it really brief. My my kind of PSA on Tesla, FSD beta and snow. Oh, that's it really right. It really doesn't work right now. Like, and I won't go into all the details, but <laughs> I really think that this is something Tesla needs to fix before it goes into wide release. It's just, it's unsafe. Uh, you know, I, I tried it just like... It, in very uh, like safe areas where there are not any cars three times in two minutes, the car fishtailed completely lost control. It just accelerates too quickly. Um, it's not a hard problem to solve, but they just, they haven't put in the code. They haven't done the the programming yet to, to change the way that it drives when, when the weather's really snowy. So um, I'm just trying to raise awareness so that hopefully somebody at Tesla hears this and they, they don't, they, they disable FSD beta when the roads are snowy um just so that you you don't have that type of situation because if i was like a new driver to beta and it's like oh cool i can turn it on here it must work and and then it just like fishtailed it's not like when you um it makes like a bad turn and during normal conditions you just slam on the brakes well if you do that when it's snowing you it might be like three four seconds before you actually regain control of the car and so you can just be sliding uncontrollably in front of oncoming traffic so it's it's a risk it's just an attack vector on tesla too so i really think they they really need to um, just disable it. That's the easiest thing. And then whenever they do get around to fixing it, I, I have all the confidence that they'll adjust the behavior um, to, to, to handle the conditions. But for now, you know, going into wide release for beta in December, when it's just about to be snowy season in much of the US, um, I really think Tesla needs to just, you know, not allow that right now until they fix mm-hmm. it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, they need to do something about taking it out when with snow i haven't had to experience it with snow but yeah if it's not adjusting and causing these dangerous situations in the snow yeah it's just a a accident waiting to happen that will be you know you know it'll be all over the news once it happens yeah it's just a simple fix to 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 turn it off when it's snowy like if, if the road is white and it's like 32 degrees or under you know just like disable beta like, I think there's some pretty simple logic that they could r- roll out in, you know, any one of these updates, but I, I just really hope they do. So yeah. if anyone has any poll with any of the FSD engineers, please get this message to them. Cause I just, I would, I'd hate for something bad to happen. And then for like the regulators to come and say, Oh, you're being reckless for, for something that's easy to fix. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, let, let's All go right. to, to Q and A. <clears throat> All right. Q and A. First question is 
from Cyril JBNN on Twitter. Your thoughts on hedge funds possibly increasing their short position on NASDAQ stocks, including Tesla. Yeah, I mean, I think that these, uh, you know, like Matt and I touched on earlier, um, we have a, a source that's, you know, connected to a lot of emerging hedge fund managers and, um, you know, it, and I have other sources and it just seems like it's a more popular idea, be gaining some traction again to short Tesla that maybe Tesla's kind of like, you know, kick it while it's down kind of thing, like to help the valuation come back to where they think it should be. Um, I think Gordon Johnson is in that camp, obviously, in that thought, you know, the people in that kind of reality is like Gordon Johnson. Jordan Johnson last night said he thought Tesla should be like $45 was reasonable for Tesla's stock price. Nothing. <laughs> so maybe they think that Tesla is going to go down to sub $100, you know, and they're shorting it and they're going to make some good money as it goes down. Maybe that's their thought process. Um, but like Matt and I were also talking about with the, you know, market cap versus realized market cap and, and the guy on the YouTube comments said, um, anything can happen, you know, like you just need enough sellers to come in as an imbalance against buyers. If you don't have enough buyers with dry powder waiting to pick Tesla up at low at these prices or even prices lower, stock can go down real fast, you know, as it has gone, you know, so, um, it's part of the S and P index. So there's some liquidity because of that added into it. But yeah, man, if Tesla was not part of the S&P index, you know, th these movements would be much faster than they are, um, I would say. So there's some amount of liquidity built into it because of that. But yeah, it's it's uh, at some point, these shorts are going to have to cover. We know that. Um, and like we also said earlier, this, this rip up in Tesla will happen sooner or later. We just don't know if it's going to be in the next three months or six months or two years, even, you know, you just don't know with the macro market environment. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. Nothing to add. All right. Let's go to the next question from Martin Muldoon. How you doing, Martin? Question. What is Elon's Tesla reluctance to announce a stock buyback given the invested in Bitcoin, which seems like more of a risk? I mean, Elon said he responded to a tweet saying it's up to the board, right? So really, what do you think? What do you think, Matt, about it? Yeah, I mean, like I think they they indicated on the Q3 call that you know they might authorize something this year and initiate a buyback next year. So like I think I kind of think they're going to do it. Um, so I'm not sure there really is any any reluctance. Um, you know, I, I think we will hear something. My, my guess is they'll kind of announce that there's been an authorization. Um, maybe it's approved in December and they announce it on the Q4 call or something like that. So I, I think we'll get there, and I'm not too worried about it, honestly. Let's go to the next question from Mark Gomez Tejada. How bad can affect how bad can rising interest rates affect Tesla? I think that's what it means. It reduces <laughs> the demand for cars, increases the value of the cash pile. Five percent of sixty billion is nearly one dollar earning per share. Well, sixty billion is way too high for the cash pile, and they're also not investing all of that in treasuries because they need like I think a lot of people don't realize that the 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 cash balance at the end of the quarter is not like the uh, reflective of the average cash balance throughout the quarter. So with the delivery wave, and this is one of the reasons to end it, you know, you're you're you know paying all your costs on the like first two months of of the of the quarter, you know, roughly just like a higher weight of them, and then the vast majority of your cash flows in happen when you deliver to customers, which you know was typically happening happening in the third month of the quarter. So, you know, when Tesla reports 17 billion of cash at the end of the quarter and it's like it looks like it's growing pretty consistently quarter over quarter, it's kind of growing like this. But I, I think the actual cash flows will look like at the end of the quarter, it's like this. And then it dips down um, as they're paying for all these expenses and not delivering a lot of cars. And then in the third month, it rises back up to a new high. So you need to, like, average out those first two months where the where the, you know, cash outflows are higher than the cash inflows. And then, you know, so so if you were to I think that's why Tesla's not investing, say, 10 billion right now in, in treasuries to get like a 5% return um, and, and make that uh, or have that improve the, you know, the interest yield. Um, you, you do need a, a pretty substi a substantial um, balance to kind of manage those working capital flows. Um, so like I, I think the actual usable amount of excess cash flow might be in like the five to ten billion dollar range. It's kind of my, my sense. Yeah, makes sense. 
Next question from Melody of 1974. Question, are either of you going to the semi-delivery event? What is your forecast for semi in 2023? I am not going to the semi-delivery event. That's I think that's December 1st, isn't that right? I think, it's beginning I think of- so. Yeah, so I'm excited to see that. Um, it's a nice little milestone for Tesla to deliver their first semis. I think Robin Denholm recently said they can deliver like a hundred or was it a thousand Tesla semis this year? I thought it, I thought it was 200, but I, I, 200. Yeah. But it's, it wasn't just like one or five, like, you know, this initial delivery event might just be like five or 10. So it yeah. was a much more substantial number for the last month of the year to produce a hundred of these. That's pretty good. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see the Tesla semi delivery event. I wonder if there's, you know, there's always a possible that there's some kind of, one last thing, like when they announced the Roadster 2.0 at the initial semi-delivery event, maybe Roadster 2.0 finalized will be, you know, the uh, surprise at this semi-delivery event or something. You know, that's been no one's talked about the Roadster 2.0 yeah. for a while, so I'm curious about that. But well, uh, do you think anything well, special will happen? So I, actually, I I was thought about that, and it, it would be a nice surprise. I don't think it would move the socks just because that's a, such a low volume no, car. Yeah. Um, but like, that's, I would just feel good for the the company. Like the, the people who reserved those yourself included, you know, have been yeah. out of a lot of money for many years now. And I think it would just be a yeah. really nice thing to be able to deliver those. Elon did say recently, uh, I think it was on the Joe Rogan, the second Joe Rogan interview that he wanted to prioritize. It just made sense to prioritize Cybertruck over Roadster. Um, so I don't think, you know, there will be that, that surprise. There was this rumor going around. I don't know if you saw this, that like, they were hand building a couple hundred roadsters or um, cyber trucks, so they might try to deliver those. Have, had you heard that rumor that was going around? I saw that, but didn't someone say false? That's false. Was someone said it was denied? Yeah, I can't remember who. I don't. I think so. Directly, but it might have been someone else that works for Tesla. I forget. But it, it seemed like the, the sort room. of thing that that wasn't true. But yeah, I, I don't know. You could see that. Like maybe they deliver some ATVs or something. I don't know. I, I maybe, they're I, gonna I don't... Deliver, maybe they're going to build 50 or 100 of them just to drive them around and get the feel for that. You know, they did that with the Model Y and the, the Model 3, 3 and the Model Ooh. X. I think they had like 50 or 100 of these like test vehicles that employees were driving around for a while to like iron out all the kinks before they really produce it. Maybe they're doing that. I don't know. Do you think that's It would possible? generate some buzz too. I mean, if you yeah. just deliver, let's say you like hand built 50 of them. Obviously, it's not like a financial impact. You're probably losing money on those. But like generate some buzz. People start seeing these on the road and like then there's like news stories about them. Plus they're getting data from how the cars drive to tweak the software, to tweak the design, whatever. So yeah, I think that'd be really cool if they did something like that. Yeah, me too. All right, next question from Next Big Future. How you doing? Uh, he's got a great hey, channel. Buddy. Doesn't know. Uh, question, if full self-driving wide releases in December... Full USD revenue recognition announced January earnings. That's 100% each quarter going forward in Europe Q2. Is that not 2.3 net income in 20, an additional 2, 2 to 3 billion of net income in 2023? Matt, you want to? Um, yeah. So the, if they recognize the full amount of the US deferred revenue balance, that's probably around a billion dollars um, of, of revenue. Uh, that's like a one time benefit. So, you know, analysts will kind of discount that. Uh, but Brian is right that there you'll, you'll have full recognition on new sales of FSD um, at, at that point. So if this goes to like everybody who's ever, you know, purchased FSD, then uh, it, at least in the United States and Canada, um, then you've got that higher take rate going forward or higher uh, recognition rate going forward. Um, two to three billion sounds sounds pretty high. I mean, I'm just trying to look at what I'm estimating for next year. So. Um, I'm estimating right now about 3 billion for next year. If I were to just assume that there's no change in the deferred revenue balance, uh, let me see here. We're doing some live modeling here. I've got 2.3, um, in that case. So it's like 700 million, um, difference if, if it's fully recognized or not. Obviously that depends on the take rate. So one thing I think is, is a reasonable thing to consider, but which we haven't modeled is that when it FSD truly does go into wide release, more people will like show it to their friends and neighbors, and that can help to sell more FSD. And people who already have Teslas but didn't buy FSD might consider it. And I'd imagine they, you know, do like a 30-day free trial or something like that. Yeah. And, and so then existing customers, some percentage of them will upgrade. Um, so I think there's a lot of levers that Tesla could pull that they have not wanted to pull yet. Um, and so I'm I'm pretty excited to see whenever 
FSD is safe enough and they're, they're comfortable enough that they want to start trying to pull those levers. I'm really curious to see what that looks like. Yeah. Next question from Martin on YouTube live question. Do you think Elon should tell us how many users on Twitter were bots? He really pushed this point. I do think he should come out. I think he probably will. I, I, I would not be surprised if he waits until someone asks him in an interview or something. I think that question will be asked of him point blank, you know, at least once and multiple times if he dodges the question the first time. And at some point we will sort of know the truth in retrospect. Um, and, you know, if it's not immediately in the next few months, it could be next year or sometime or the, or the year after that, even if he's trying to just keep that data kind of to close to his sleeve, his pocket for now. But I do think he will um, be more transparent. As we've seen, he's been very transparent. He's a transparent kind of guy. I think he'll be transparent around that. Yeah, you know I, mean? I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> next question is from... Melody, how you doing, Melody? Uh, question on YouTube Live. Question, Matt, is your vehicle all-wheel drive? Do you have winter tires on it? That's uh, so it is all-wheel drive, but I do not have winter tires. Um, so that's, I mean, this is something that I saw a lot in the, the Twitter comments when I was kind of going off on this is like, like, oh, it's it actually works fine. Or like Tesla should just like, it's like, give me the freedom to handle this. And if it's unsafe, then I won't do it. But to me, it's it's like, regardless of what tires you have, you need to slow down in, in the slow driving. And the, the problem is like the Tesla was just gunning it on turn. So even if I had winter tires, like the same thing would have happened, maybe to a lesser extent. Like sometimes um, it comes out of a stop sign on a turn, it kind of guns it, right? That's exactly, exactly what was going on. Um, and, and so to, to me, it's, it's just, it's the same sort of thing of like, if you are parked in front of like um, your, your garage or, or whatever, or like some obstacle, and you hit the accelerator because you think um, you're in reverse, the Tesla will will stop. You know, they, they gave some examples of this on on AI day of like, if it's very clearly going to, if you're directing it to do something wrong, the Tesla will stop you from doing that dangerous thing. And so I think the same thing should apply here in the snowy weather. Like, they clearly have not got the software to the point where it's preventing fishtails. I mean, three out of three of my turns were fishtails. Um, so like, regardless of what, you can't just like assume that everybody's going to have great tires. But to me, it's just, it's pretty obvious that they have not worked on this problem yet. So they just need to either deliver the upgrade where that solves this or just disable it until they do. Yeah. And speaking of uh, all wheel drive, I just got all wheel drive uh, uploaded to the, the new model X um, my wife got uh, a few months ago. And uh, I used it today for the first time taking my kids to school in the normal route I do with my other car, I usually drive FSD beta on and, and the new model X, you know, FSD beta worked really well this first time. Like it's really cool. Like having a new car that suddenly gets it turned on and you use it. It worked almost, I'd, I'd say better than my, my model S plaid. Um, you know, there's a, there's a spot in my model S plaid where it always like has emerged and it like stops and you're like, come on, keep going. You have to like push the, the gas pedal just to make it go. It doesn't seem to figure it out for some reason, but that little glitch doesn't happen with the model X, uh, FSD beta. So it's really neat to kind of see a new car you get just like suddenly get better from a download a software download like that. So, um, yeah, maybe they, maybe they're, you know, speaking of me getting it on that car, maybe they're widening the FSD program as we speak on a kind of rolling week basis and it'll be everyone by the end of December, like Elon was saying. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds, I, I did hear someone on Twitter was saying that um, people who've never had beta before, but bought FSD are now getting the 10.69.3. So that's a, that's yeah. a pretty good sign, which yeah. I still don't have that yet. So I'm looking, I don't know why I don't have that one yet. Yeah, well, it's 10. Uh, the new one is the new is that the, that's not the newest one the newest one is well, what 10.69.7 or, or i mean dot 70 or something or 11 well, original well, the, 11. well there's version 11 is like the the that's that's the full stack that's like the really big one um yeah. but like right now a lot of the beta testers are are on 69.3 um and i'm still not on that one 10.69.3 right yeah yep and everybody's supposed to get 11 by next month, yeah. according to Elon. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, let's do one more question. It's about an hour. That's typically we try to stop it after an hour. Last question is um, from YouTube live from Braino Swiss. 
How fast can Tesla produce semi next year? And at what margin do you think they can make? That's a great question. Um, I think we'll learn a lot more about that on December 1st at the, at the semi delivery event. Um, Elon will most certainly be there and in my mind and, and, uh, it's at gigafactory Nevada, I think, right. It's at that. Yeah. I think they're building them there. Yeah. That's where the event is too. So, um, we'll hear him talk about it. Hopefully someone asks him how, hopefully he gives some kind of, uh, estimate for how many they'll produce next year, but they might be reluctant to do that. They don't often give, um, forward predictions for the next year anymore, like specific numbers or, you know, they just say 50% growth, you know, or something like that. So, Someone met, I've heard, I've listened, I can't remember where I heard, but I've listened to a lot of interviews and a lot of someone seemed to suggest maybe like 10,000 semis next year as a, as a possibility or something. What do you think, Matt? It's funny you say that because I was just pulling up my, my model to see what I had in there. I had. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That might've been from our uh, round table, energy round table discussion when he walked. I think that's right. Yeah. With Duncan and uh, the other gentleman. That's a, that was a great discussion. We'll have a follow up with them. And Duncan and Brandon. Duncan and Brandon. Yeah. So, all right, guys, a great, great chat. Matt, you froze on YouTube for a second, I think. Sorry, yeah, I don't know what's going on. My connection seems stable, but it seems like uh, we just always have some issue. <laughs> so sorry about that. All right, that. no worries. All right, guys, well, we'll see you next week. All right, thanks, okay. everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye.